welcome back to another episode of In the Fire. We are ready to bring the heat to you guys today. Um, Justin and Thomas, how are you guys doing? Good. I'm good. Something smells good because I'm cooking in this fire. (laughs) (laughs) You are cooking something in the fire or you are cooking in the fire? (laughs) I'm cooking something. (laughs) Okay, good. I don't think you cooking would smell as good. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't think I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if but you do you really know? With you. <laughs> Go, yeah, just cover yourself in baking grease. Genius. I'll do it. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing well. I hope listeners, you guys are having a splendid day. Um, and it's about to get even better. Um So this week, we are looking at various excerpts in Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, which is, as you guys know, the second book in the Bible. Um, This covers really a lot of straightforward narration, um, but there are also some major themes to unpack in all of this. Mostly, um, I want to really explore the theme of what the enemy means for evil, the Lord means for good. Um, Mm. Yes. So what we will, these these verses, these passages will reveal a lot about the struggles of the Israelites, but also their endurance and survival as they're held under the protection of God. And specifically Exodus here kind of focuses on the relationship between Egypt, um, a longstanding godless empire, which is really unparalleled in its power at the time, well, versus the up and coming. But well, yes. You know. <laughs> Godless with a capital G, um, <laughs> with many gods, um, which is something I'll we'll kind of talk about also. I think um, the difference between that and then it's sort of the Egyptians versus the up and coming Israelites who are, in a way, foreigners in a foreign land, which is a theme we covered last week, but who are not forgotten by God. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into the verses. Um, then we'll start at Exodus 1, verse 8. Um, uh, Justin, do you want to read through 8 through 14, and then Thomas 15 through 21? Yeah. All right. All right. Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to him, look. The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra. Shifra, and the name of the other, Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife, 
for the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. And if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the, midli- the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there we have it. Um, thank you, Justin and Thomas. So, before we unpack those verses, I just sort of want to set the stage a little bit. So, uh, the events of Exodus pick up over 400 years after the conclusion of Genesis. And um, it's actually more of a, instead of like looking at them as two separate books, it's more of a continuation of Genesis, despite this time gap. Um, I found this interesting note when I was doing some research that modern translations don't really do Exodus 1.1, which, um, hold on, let me see if I can find Exodus 1.1 real quick which starts off saying, now these are the names of the children of Israel who come to Egypt. And then um, we don't have to get into that. But the word now, um, this I found this commentary by author James Burton Kaufman, who said, it is regrettable that here the translators use their own words now instead of the words of the text, which are literally, and these are the names. A careful study of these opening lines of Exodus reveals the certainty that we that what we have here is a continuation of Genesis. One theme, one purpose, one great coordinator, one design, and one person. Um, throughout the Pentateuch and the entire Bible attest to its amazing unity. Um, so considering that it's sort of a continuation, I think it's worth looking back to Genesis and, um, and looking at one particular theme, and that's in Genesis 47, um actually the theme is later but in genesis 47 jacob brings israel to settle in gosham which is in egypt it's a fertile land uh the egyptians sort of allow them to settle there um and then in genesis 50 joseph who has curried favor with who's jacob's son who curried favor with uh with the egyptians and pharaoh uh here in genesis 50 um forgives his brothers who Obviously, with the the coat, um, they beat him up and then sent him into exile or slavery. Um, So he forgives his brothers for that after their father, Jacob, dies. And he tells them, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many, to to save many people alive. And that's Genesis 50, 20, which is the final chapter before Exodus begins. And so as Genesis sort of melds into Exodus, um, I think we can carry this theme with any meant for evil, God meant for good, uh, which Joseph said about his brothers into these sort of separate events that we see in Exodus. Um, so that's sort of setting the stage. Do you guys have any anything to add there? I mean, I, I would just say that that idea is true for a lot of the Old Testament as well and, and the Bible, really. Um, but especially what you see early on um and if you read straight through this, like the first several books of the Bible, um, a lot of 
different interweaving parts of stories kind of all work out the way they do and all point towards one thing closer to the end of the Bible. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it makes it a little more clear to see God's overarching plan of redemption for both these, you know, earlier children of Israel. And then also for us that all, everything kind of points to the same thing, um, which is a cool thing about the Bible. And, you know, you have kind of Joseph's side of the story. We'll get to Moses here. All the different events that happen, we'll read through some of them today, but all the different events that happen that lead to those kind of leaders rising in Israel, you know, everything that happens, what the midwives do here, all of it kind of works together like, you know, different, um, or an analogy, different pieces of puzzle being put into place or like weaving together to form rope <laughs> yeah definitely um yes all yes all strands of one rope i guess um really the bible is one continual story not just genesis and exodus and as you mentioned justin like what uh what you meant evil against me god meant it for good that's really a theme in the entire Bible and it works for the ultimate good in the new Testament when Jesus comes and dies for our sins, um, and rises again. And so I feel like a lot of people, you know, one of the most common questions about Christianity is why does God allow evil? Well, it's evil in a sense that some people mean it for evil, but God means it for good. And that ultimately when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, you can really see Instead of the, the devil details, you can see the God, God in all the details, um, mm. and really working it, working it for good. Yeah, I like that. Ah. I have something to bring up later that's going to cover some of that. In my sweet. Well, I will be looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> so now we can go ahead and move into verses eight through fourteen. Um, which is really where we start to see some of this evil take place. Um, the evil that the Egyptians mean for the Israelites. Um, and yeah, it does evidence itself in these verses. Uh, so what happens is I mentioned earlier that when the Israelites moved into Goshen and then when Jacob was leading them and then when Joseph was leading them, they sort of found favor with Pharaoh and they were sort of permitted to live and prosper um, in a region of Egypt. Uh, but this is, after these 400 years um, of them being uh, from the end of Genesis to Exodus, there's at this point a new pharaoh who did not know or admire Joseph and who just decides to cut off these friendly ties with the Israelites and chooses to oppress them. And he really sees that they are a threat in their numbers. Um, they're a threat to Pharaoh because who knows, they could potentially team up with another uh group of uh another group of people who might come and try to wage war on the egyptians if they have the help of israelites the egyptians were really worried that they might be overtaken and so pharaoh's in this worry afflicts them with burdens and pretty much enslaves them into rigorous back-breaking labor i know rigor is uh repeated at least at least twice in these verses um and yeah, so this is really when the enslavement begins and when the uh, Israelites enter this 
bondage, which lasts hundreds of years. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to bring another Kaufman quote here. He writes, it is regrettable here that, or never mind, that's the one I just read. He writes, however, in this action against God's people, Pharaoh positioned himself as an antagonist of Almighty God, making Pharaoh a type of Satan himself. In this verse, Pharaoh enters into conflict with the God of Israel, whose purpose was to bring Israel up out of the land, whereas the purpose of Pharaoh was that of preventing them from escaping out of the land. Um, so yeah, this is out of the out of this concern that the Israelites may overpower the Egyptians. Eventually, they are entered into into slavery. Yes, they are. Um, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, um, what the Veggie Tales has a story about Moses, um, and I believe this does not have anything to do with the points we are making, really. But isn't it um, like in a society based on dodgeball? <laughs> you ask they us. throw dodgeballs at each other. <laughs> I do not remember this. I also <laughs> don't remember. Obscure veggie tales. I don't. I don't remember that either. Which is kind of sad that I don't remember it because that sounds. It sounds like I would remember it. Dodgeball City. <laughs> I'm looking it up. The home of little Joe and his brothers. <laughs> I'm assuming that's Joseph. <laughs> yeah. One of the lasting memories I have of Veggie Tales is when they have, um, when they march around the walls of Jericho <laughs> with these like classic fruit smoothies or something, whatever they are. Oh, because weren't um, they like these throwing purple fruit things. at each other? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's called Mo and the Big Exit. This is the Veggie Tales one, and it takes place in Dodgeball City. So if you're listening, you can go watch that. <laughs> that will provide you even more context <laughs> for these verses here. Um, back to this, though. I, I, I did look it up. It appears that the Egyptians were most scared of the Hittite Empire in the north and did fear that if the Hittites invaded Egypt, that the Israelites would team up with the Hittites. And uh, that would be enough to possibly overrun Egypt. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I find it interesting here that it, the Bible specifically mentioned that the Egyptians were, quote unquote, in dread of the children of Israel. <laughs> and they saw them... Um, that they saw that they are more and mightier than we, uh, which I think is interesting for one of the most powerful empires to ever exist. Um, like they're, <laughs> the Israelites really seem to be in this Pharaoh's head. Um, it's sort of like uh, when you think of a virus um, as something that like invades the host and then like multiplies and then takes over the, the cell and then, I don't know, just kind of wages more in it. I sort of imagine that as Israelites, that's a good kind of virus. Um, working in the Egyptians, and eventually it gets to a point where Pharaoh's like, okay, I, I dread you guys, and really think you guys are becoming mightier than us, potentially, especially if the Hittites invade. And so he enacts this evil through enslaving them. Yeah, uh, I think it is important to note, I don't think Israel was doing anything inherently bad when they were in Egypt. They were just living there and multiplying. Um, <laughs> and the Pharaoh 
saw that and, and was afraid. Now, I did see in a little bit of on this situation, um, the idea to me that Israel's growth kind of physically in the face of affliction seems to have something that, I mean, obviously it was, it seems to have something that God had planned for them earlier. So before Egypt, they were kind of in the land of Canaan, um, the Israelites were. And according to what I'm reading here, the nation of Israel could not grow, could not multiply the way it did in Canaan because it was practically impossible to avoid intermarriage with the pagan and wicked inhabitants of Canaan. That's something you see back in Genesis. They have, you know, intermarrying in the relations with the people of Canaan, and God doesn't really like that. Um, but because Egypt itself, like the Egyptians, were so racially biased toward, to themselves, um, and this says they had such an entrenched system of racial separation that Israel could grow over there several centuries without being assimilated because the Israel because the Egyptians did not want to assimilate with anyone else. So this was the one place where they actually could go and live and just grow amongst themselves rather than with other people. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think so it's the, really cool. The Egyptians uh, races worked out for good. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't yeah. like <laughs> horrible racism until they started you know enslaving them right uh, <laughs> they were just like you guys be over there you're not egyptian so don't try to be <laughs> um, yeah exactly right i mean here i have genesis forty-seven twenty-seven. um thus israel settled in the land of egypt and the land of goshen and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly so even before they were enslaved um they were being, they were multiplying greatly in Egypt. But yeah, like you said, Thomas, they're probably the Egyptians were like, okay, you be over here. We don't want to associate with you. Um, and then <laughs> they are being fruitful and multiplying so greatly that then they're like, all right, we got it. The Egyptians are good. We got to do something about these people. And then they afflict them into slavery. And then in this affliction, they multiply even more. So you can really start to see the design of, um, regardless of how evil the Egyptians are being, God is sort of using it. Um, to still advance Israel and set up, set up the stage for future events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the Israelites' home is not here, but in the Promised Land. It's not in Egypt where they're supposed to live forever. And this is like the first step of getting them out of Egypt. Uh, and he, you know, God could have just been like, "All right, Israel, time to go. <laughs> time to go to the Promised Land." Um, but instead. Like they're put under affliction through persecution and then they are taken to the promised land only by the power of God that allows them to get there, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And the fact that they multiplied despite that affliction and were in Egypt and could multiply there, it does pay off in future chapters. Like you look ahead to Joshua, they need to be a big large powerful nation with a large military in order to conquer different lands and this is the time when they actually grow into that big nation so it all plays out in future books of the bible too ah the plans of god mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah and it's even more miraculous considering yeah they're multiplying rapidly despite their 
heavy bondage and hard forced labor that was probably all day and night. Um, and that's just continual persecution. But then also there's more evil that evidence itself when the Pharaoh commands the midwives to kill if if any of them have if any of the Hebrew women have a son, the Pharaoh commands them to kill that first that son. Um, what do you think would really reduce the numbers of the Israelites? <laughs> um, but that's About where we 50%. get into this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's really where we get into these this next form of goodness, um, and that's really in the, the midwife's example of faithfulness to God. Um, so amid these dark days of enslavement, when Egypt uses their unprecedented power to make life as harsh and hopeless for the Israelites as possible, the midwives still fear God above all else, above the Egyptians who are doing this wicked thing to them. Um, and the verse mentions, because the midwives fear God, he provided households for them when these midwives um, refused to kill the sons of refused to kill the newborn Hebrew sons, um, which I think is a beautiful display of faith by keeping them alive. I also read some conflicting commentary on whether or not um, the, these midwives lied to Pharaoh when they said that these Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Um, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So potentially they were telling the truth and that like the Hebrew women were so hardy and um i don't know <laughs> genetically um gifted i don't know that they <laughs> they bore their sons quicker than the normal egyptian woman would they just and... popping those things out <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> which is a possibility uh, the heaters are multiplying um but also <laughs> they could have just been uh they could have just been sort of fudging the truth and um defying pharaoh that way um yeah. but anyways way, god though, deals with them yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um and god rewards them um not only by keeping them alive but providing them with their own families it says he provided households for them um which further contributes to the um expansion of israel's people um once again, this sort of fits into the theme that the more afflicted the Israelites were, the more that they multiplied and grew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one cool note that I saw reading about this, I'll just read what it says here. And it comes back to what Peter talked about earlier, the idea of Satan being involved in all of this. Um, we may see the command of Pharaoh as consistent with Satan's plan of Jew hatred through the centuries as an attack against God's Messiah and ultimate plan for Israel and his plan of redemption. Satan knew that the Messiah, the the one who would crush its head, would come from the children of Israel. Therefore, he tried to destroy the whole nation in one generation by ordering all the male children killed. So that brings the yes, this was Pharaoh ordering, but you can see the evil involved in it, which means that it's coming from satan you know um so it's satan working through this pharaoh to destroy all of israel because he knows that the messiah is going to come from this nation and the messiah is going to kill him (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. Um, keep going, Thomas. I think it's also cool. I mm, this is mm, this can sound a little weird. I think it's also cool that it's kind of it kind of mirrors what happens in Egypt when Jesus is born too. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, all the male children are also ordered to be killed. <laughs> or is that wrong? No, that is that's correct, right? Yeah. So okay. That's, um, okay. The Pharaoh. I believe yeah. you. Yeah, I believe you're right. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's the Pharaoh twice. What's what are, what, are, what is wrong with Pharaohs and killing like male children? <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> I'm gonna go take a look and um, see if I can find that. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Wait. So was it was it right. Herod who? Um, That's what I'm trying to find out. Put the yeah, order out to kill the sons. So I don't think it was. And then the, they fled to Egypt. Moses and or right. not Moses. Right. But right, right. 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 Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. That's Joseph. correct. Mm-hmm. But still. But yeah. No. Satan. It, Satan yeah. uses the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kill all the males. <laughs> he's doing. He's doing what he can. Um, doesn't work. But it's like it is sort of like a, a tug of war overall because. Like you said, Justin, I think that's cool. Like Satan knows that Jesus can come from Israel. So he wants to do his best to prevent that from happening. Um, Mm -hmm. You can see it through these, both then in Egypt and then like Thomas, you mentioned there, um, these mandates to kill firstborn sons, or not just firstborn sons, but all newborn sons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I've got it. Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Verses 16 through 18 tell that. So before that, 13 through 15, Joseph takes Mary and Jesus and they flee to Egypt, knowing that Herod will seek the child to destroy him. Verse 16, Herod, when he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all his districts. So the same kind of thing where, you know, and they're trying to stop God's plan by destroying the future of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And it cannot be stopped. It cannot. In fact, it it plays a role in it. Um because like I think there's a prophecy too that said um that Jesus would Jesus and his family would come up out of Egypt and into Israel. Mm-hmm. At yeah. the same point in time, just as Israel came out out of Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, this is cool mirroring of the Exodus story in Jesus's birth. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think of that before. So yeah, Very same. Neat. That's a great point. Um, but also I don't want to just overlook this, the fact that the firstborn <laughs> or that the sons, any son, Egyptian or Hebrew son is ordered to be killed. Um, like that's just imagine if that happened today. Like that's not just something to brush over because it is so evil and wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll get to this later in the Exodus, and it is throughout Exodus that um, you see the Israelites groan for um, out of their affliction and all these things. So it's it is truly truly oppression and evil and wickedness at its maximum um it's tough to it's tough to imagine um 
exactly how evil it is today. But if you just try to think about it, just spend some time thinking about it a little bit, it is evil. And it's not something to just brush over and read over. God just meant it all for good. No, it is it is serious stuff, and God did mean it for good. But it is, yeah, it's it's terrible what happened to the, the Israelites. Sure. And I think the only thing we have now that we can compare to it, I mean, none of us were alive during like World War II, but we've all learned about, you know, Nazi Germany, the Holocaust, and this would probably be similar, you know? Uh, yeah. Great oppression, enslavement, killing, it's it's on scale with that. Um, just happened way, way earlier. There's a lot of things that have happened throughout the history of the world um, that are similar to this, but you know, we can look at that. I mean, we've all learned about in school that can probably give us some sense of what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good comparison that we probably are more familiar with, um, even though we didn't live through it. But obviously we have learned a lot about World War II and all the evils and atrocities um, at, in that time. So, yeah. Um. All right, so now I'm going to sort of transition to Exodus chapter 2. Um, and this is when, and more example of goodness during Pharaoh's evil edict uh, to have all the sons of Israel be killed, and that is with Moses' birth. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 10. Um, and a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child back in it, and laid it on the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So, as we can see, Moses did not die. He did not get killed either. Um, like we see with the midwives, we see Moses' parents obey God um, because they fear and trust God more than the enemy. And they disobey Pharaoh's and Egypt's order to kill him or to kill Moses, which would have which would have happened if they had um, conformed to Egyptian law. Um, and so in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, 23, there is a reference to this to this time. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid at the king's command. Once again, they were not afraid of the king's command, but out of fear of the Lord, they trust in the Lord and take this risk of keeping their child alive. Um, I also think it's worth noting that it says Moses is so beautiful here. Um, like he just looks like, I don't know, like a golden child. 
that is born that um, so his parents cool. believe he he must serve this special purpose and Pharaoh's daughter sees this too. Um, so I guess that's sort of a sign that um, <laughs> that this very beautiful child has this divine approval per se. <laughs> Which I think is funny. Um, but overall, you know, I think you can see God's providence and divine interference in human affairs here. Um, I could see how this, I don't see how this could be coincidence or if there was no God, I just really see no other way that an event like this could somehow take place because, you know, here lands the future deliverer of Israel in the very palace of the evil ruler who becomes God's antagonist and orders a decree to have this future leader killed. Um, and yet he, he doesn't, he doesn't die. And so as racist, as oppressive as Egypt's are against Israelites, a baby Israelite finds his way into the Royal family, um, which I think is special. I don't think that could happen without God's providence um, and his, his design at all in all of this playing out. Um, so yeah, he provides a pathway for Moses to lead his people against Pharaoh. And as we learn later in Exodus, which we're not going to read, like he, at least for the early stages, early couple of decades in his life, he is part of this Egyptian royal family and grows up in Pharaoh's household, which I think is special considering what you think would be all these odds mounted against him. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to kind of expand on that because he, he's going to be like the leader of the Israelites and he's going to help lead them out of Israel and he gets put in the Royal family, which immediately makes him a leader of Egypt. And it's kind of cool to see like God kind of raise him up in the Royal family. So that way he is prepared to lead Israel in a way like through, through that leadership that he learns in the Royal family, he can take that and help the Israelites when he takes them out of Egypt. And when God takes them out of Egypt as well, I think that's kind of cool. It definitely is because Egypt would have been like the number one civilization out there in the world at that point. Um, so he would have had access to like the premier education and everything that he would need, you know, to serve and or maybe not need, but that would help him in that role of being such a key leader over his people and doing what he does later and going back into Egypt and freeing his people, you know, that relationship that he has with the Egyptian authority would certainly mean something. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. pretty neat to bring up. Yeah. He's sort of the necessary intermediary between Egypt and Israelites. If the Israelites were to, um, overcome the slavery and be delivered into the promised land um and so yeah it's it's really cool and special to see how god uses moses through this um and also it's cool going continuing Moses' story how he always is his consciousness is always aligned towards his own people and protecting israel's interest um but he can again use that education and relationships that he has built up in Egypt growing up with them um, to be able to accomplish all this good uh, amid all this evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I was also going to add in here, um, in both chapters one and two, we get a good example of something that we talked about last week, and it, it's come up a few times as we discussed last week, um, since we started this podcast, but the idea of submitting the government authority. So Egypt or Israel would have been under Egyptian authority, certainly, as we see here. Um, but you may ask yourself, why then do they not submit to Egyptian authority when the Egyptians order them to do these very wicked things? Um, well, it's because they are very wicked things. And I think it's a picture of, you know, we are to respect, honor, authority over us, government over us, and submit to what that government tells us, but only as far as it does not violate word and God's law. Uh, this is a clear violation of God. I mean, killing your firstborn son, killing all your sons, that's pretty obvious <laughs> uh, violation of what God would would uh, order or what God has told us. Um, but you, you respect the courage of these midwives and Moses' parents here to, you know, resist that authority, even when it's tough. But they, you know, it brings up the idea of fearing God rather than fearing Pharaoh. Um, and this is a good example of where that is a good thing. So, yes, you know, if it violates God's command, then the right thing to do is to resist that authority. Yeah, I think that's well, yeah, that's very well said. And this, I mean, it's cool to tie this to like a specific example here. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very cool to see that. Because um, we did talk, we have talked about in future in previous episodes, and here we have an example of the midwives when it does clearly disobey God's commandments and God's law. Um, we see the midwives and then Moses' parents sort of stand up for that and against the against the authority. But also, we still see um, we don't see a, a complete uprising of Israel against the Egyptians, especially with Moses, because Moses. Um, here it grows up in an Egyptian household and within the royal family um, because they trust God that he will deliver them eventually and has a great purpose for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any other thoughts on the midwives or Moses before we sort of start to conclude this? No, I don't believe so. All right. We shall conclude. Um, so I want to, at the end of each, uh, uh, Exodus 2, I'm going to read the, these couple of verses here. It's verses 23 through 25. And it reads, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Um, and so this is, I really think a, a great, some great verses to look at as we sort of close out here, because although these seeds have been planted for Israel's deliverance through Moses, though God is still enabling Israel to multiply greatly, and though he is rewarding those who obey him with the midwives, as we saw, Israel is still enslaved in, in enemy territory, being oppressed, uh, against an ultimate evil force. And the people are groaning. It's very real. It's very serious. Um, and they will be groaning and suffering for a long time. 
But the most important thing to take away here is that God hears the groaning, quote unquote, hears it, which is a very human, um, human sense here and humanizes God in a way. And he acknowledges them. And that is sufficient, as we will see. That is all that is needed. That is all knowing that God is with him. That's all that the midwives um, and Moses' parents needed to value God over uh, over anything else or to have the fear of Egypt trump God's presence with them. Um, and so while so much of Exodus 1 and 2 is straightforward narrative, I feel like these couple of verses here sort of interrupt that style. And I sort of picture it as like the, the author of Exodus breaking the fourth wall and reminding the reader that God is not absent during this evil period. Uh, instead, he, he actively remembers his promises, promises which explicitly refer back to Genesis, which, which again, Genesis continuation into Exodus. It's all one story. God actively remembers his promises that he, that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and continues that forward. And that remembrance and faithfulness really shines through these examples of goodness that we see in Exodus. Um, that really what the enemy means for evil, as we saw in Genesis, in a separate story with Joseph, the Lord means for good, uh, because it is all part of one grand story and grand design that uh, Satan and evil cannot win in the end, but that really Lord, the Lord through it all means it for good. I, I like that you brought these verses in. It almost reads to me like a movie, like a, a series, a movie series, um, where this would be the end of one of the movies, where you have like the children of Israel down in spring and, you know, and groaning and crying out. The whole time the movie takes place down there. But then at the very end of the movie, the it's a shot. It's a, it's a scene up in heaven where God is sitting up there and hears them, remembers his covenant, and looks down and acknowledges their pain. Um, and then the movie, and then immediately after, maybe the next movie, but I thought the very next part of this, of the Bible, chapter three, Moses at the burning bush. So it's God acting now to go and save Israel. Um, so not only does he hear, remember, acknowledge them, but immediately he acts to save them and he's going to call Moses to go and do it um, but yeah it, it, almost like a movie like you're right God we don't really hear from these couple verses and now it's like okay I hear you and I'm going to see yeah both of you make great points um, I think it's very easy to read <laughs> Exodus 1 and 2 and, and to forget that throughout the passage of time for the, both these chapters, like Israel is enslaved. And like you can see the groundwork being laid for the journey out of Egypt into, into the promised land. But like they are, they are being persecuted throughout all of this. And it's like, oh, yes, way to be faithful. Oh, yeah. But, like, they are actively being, like, sinned against. And it's it's hard. And I, and I think that's why, like, the groaning, like, it's such a good word for that. Like, they are just, like, they're not even coherently forming sentences. They're just, it's just, like, sounds of pain being 
like said by them and it's and and god hears that and is like it's time it's time to start moving forward with my plan it's time to get them out of there get them out of their pain and their suffering they've they've been there long enough um yeah and it's it's like they they were in egypt as slaves as second class citizens with no power for for all of this preparation <laughs> Moses's whole life pretty much and before then and it's just kind of good to remember that but like like God's great goodness and plan and his master plan is like so beautiful and so cool to see but to the Israelites it was just pain <laughs> for many yeah. years and it's it's good to keep that in mind. It's good to keep in mind that when we're when we're in pain, the goodness of God is also there in our pain with us. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's really the the thing to remember here is that um, <laughs> just because I mean, just because like you know God is with you or whatever doesn't always make the these. Well, it does make the struggles in life more bearable and easier because you can see the end battle, but it doesn't um, numb you or make you feel any better from the pain that you're having um, like in the moment because there is this giant weight on you as you see with Israel and they are groaning. Um, and they're in so much, they're sort of in this hopeless state. Of, um, but again, it is, that's only part of the story. And God remembers them and is faithful to them through it all. Um, which is should be enough power and motivation to be able to endure, even though it's going to be painful, even though it's going to be tough. Um, and I would, I would love to further explore this or the rest of Exodus as we get into Moses, especially when. Um, when I was asked, who should I, who should I say you are? How should I call you? And God is like, just say I am. <laughs> like that's mm. tell them that I am and that He is present he's with them through it all and you know that's sometimes the only thing you can say when someone's going through something really difficult is that it's to just be there with them as god is with them in this moment with the israelites um i really like the picture of it being like like a movie um but just like a part one or a part one of a sequel or a series of movies um that ends with this glimmer of hope at the end when like yeah put it into context there is great suffering, evil happening, but God oversees it all and is with you through it all. And it's not going to be easy, but the Lord will work it for good. And we can trust in that. And that's the glimmer of hope that we can cling to. All righty. Well, with that, I can go ahead and close this out with prayer. Um, dear God, thank you for another episode of In the Fire and getting to explore your word with Justin and Thomas. Uh, we thank you for listeners who are listening with us, um, that they could be a part of this as well. Um, please just help us to remember these stories in the Old Testament uh, and the reality of them, the seriousness of them. And that goes hand in hand with the seriousness and the reality that you are with us through it all and that we can depend on you and lean on you because you will work 
whatever is happening, whatever evil was going on in this world, you mean it for good. Though it may seem evil, you have your grand design overall, and we can trust and believe in you, um, which is the greatest gift. Um, so thank you for that, God. May we have great weeks going forward. Yeah, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have an email and an Instagram. We that, tell us, tell us more, Thomas. Um, we we not only have an email where you can reach out to us, talk to us, questions, um, things like what's your favorite color, um, things like any question you have about anything that you want us to answer. Uh, but we also have an Instagram that lets you know whenever a new episode is posted. Um, and you can DM us. And you know what? It, that, it's a quicker, easier way form of email where you can also ask us questions, give us mm-hmm. suggestions, um, yes. participate in our stories sometimes. Uh, yes. We'll ask questions. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, and if you say something, we will we will shout out whatever you say in the podcast, which, I mean, I can't think of anything better than that. So, you want to... <laughs> wouldn't want to be shouted out yes. on our podcast. Dreams, dreams can come true. Mm-hmm. Except, for, uh, except for the person who did the Joel episode. We haven't shouted them out yet. Have we? Well, not by name, but we can shout out oh, okay. what they say you know what they recommend <laughs> unless they specific if you want to be shout out by name we can certainly yes but we can let us know <laughs> all right well no. with that <laughs> well we didn't give them the name of the, oh. <laughs> the sorry thomas keep keep going i'm sorry it is in the fire podcast that is all for instagram for instagram yes i guess the uh the email is the number three in the fire at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's it. I feel like why was in the fire podcast at gmail.com taken or it must have been. <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> I think <laughs> it was it's too long. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> By the way, there you have it. Those are our handles. Um, so if you want to reach out to us, that would be awesome. But anyways, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, um, Justin and Thomas, thank you for uh, going through this topic with me um, and for your wonderful insight. Um, as always, it was a pleasure and we hope you guys have a great week and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Yeah, we will. Adios.